Let's uh, go to 3 John here. Uh, and uh, we have been working our way through these uh, books of the New Testament. I was not here last week, um, which kind of offset my schedule slightly, uh, which means I still have Jude and Revelation. And uh, I'm thinking I'm going to do Jude next week and then wait to do Revelation in the new year. You say, why is that? Because probably it's going to take me two weeks to go through the book of Revelation to give you a general book study because there are several issues involved with the book of Revelation and uh, that. It, it, it's really a simple book. You know, most people are like, oh, it's so complicated, whatever. It, it's really a simple book. If you, you know the overall theme, you're good. It's when you get into the details that it's kind of like, okay, it really gets confusing here. Uh, and uh, so it'll, it'll be something that uh, when we get to the new year, we'll probably take two weeks to deal with that. So Jude next week, Revelation in the new year uh, as we go through uh, the last of these books of the New Testament. So we are looking at Third John. Oh, by the way, you're looking at this. This is not a new setup for Sunday, okay? I'm just, you know, some of you, you know, are looking at this and going, you know, is Pastor cold and this is why we're doing this? No, uh, this is a setup for the Candy Cane Carnival on Saturday, so it will not be like this on Sunday uh, when I come in to preach that I'll, you know, be in a, you know, warm sweater and perhaps, you know, open collar and sitting, you know, in a, a lazy chair and uh, whatever and preaching to you that way. No, that's, uh, this is all set up for that. And the candy canes as you came in are not landing lights for airplanes. That's, you know, that's also for uh, the candy cane carnival coming up on Saturday. So, um, yeah. So don't let that distract you as you're looking behind me and go, you know, uh, warm fire um, for this. Third John, uh, this is the third of the letters that we have. And I kind of, we, ironically, we call this third John. We don't know if it's actually third in line or not. This could have actually have been the first letter of the three that were written. Uh, it's just that this letter and the previous one uh, are stuck as second and third because they're shorter and, well, this one's actually a little bit longer, but they're shorter and First John is larger, so it gets to be first. Um, but as far as chronologically, this is the third, uh, may not be third in time, but it is as far as the order that we have in our scripture, it's third John. And you say, well, how do we know that it's written by John? Well, it's the same thing that we had as last week. The issue uh, of uh, this individual in the first verse being called the elder. And uh, you say, well, John's name's not mentioned here. How do we know it's written by John? Well, there's several things, as we said last time we looked at this, two weeks ago when we looked at this, that the letter, first of all, was recognized by being from John by early church leaders. Okay, the church uh, leaders, we don't you know, say that they are inspired or anything like that, but their evidence of giving this to John and saying this is a letter written by him, uh, and they're only a few years removed. You know, they're John's first century, their second century, and they're, they're pointing to this as being written by John. You also have that the writer is called the elder, and as we said, that John by this time would have been very old, He's going to be the oldest of the apostles when he dies. Uh, he's probably the youngest when he's with Christ 
out of the apostles. Most suggest that he probably was uh, the youngest, uh, but don't know, uh, but it seems to be indicated that way. Uh, but by the time he dies, he's the oldest, uh, longest living of all the apostles. And so he has for himself the title elder. Okay, he's at least 75, if not 85 years of age. That's really old in this time frame. So he would have been elder just because he's old, but he's also elder because he seems to be at this time in his life uh, an overseer of a lot of churches. It's kind of like he's not pastoring a single church, but he's going around helping multiple different churches. And all the churches kind of looked at him and going, oh, he's one of the apostles. He's definitely a leader in the church. He's an elder. And so it may very well be that he just has this title of elder being both old and overseer. And then when you look at 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, same words come up truth, joy, faith, uh, walking, these terms that you find are connected to all three. Uh, and uh, so we just say it's written to, or written by John. Now, the unique feature of this letter is the reader. Okay, last time, two weeks ago, we looked at Second John, and it's very cryptic. Okay, because it's the elect lady and the elect sister greets you and all these things. No names given, not a single specific name. You get to this letter, though it's short, you've got three people specifically named. Everybody knows who they are. So you go from John's letter being very cryptic and kind of hidden. You're kind of going, well, is that to protect the persons receiving this letter from government persecution or the like? Uh, But this letter, you get names, naming names and the like, and so you're like, okay, um, this is kind of a different flavor than what you have in Second John. And in this letter, it's written, as you look, in the very first thing, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now, our problem is, is that we have at least three different Gaiuses in the Bible. It's a very common name. Okay, like in our culture, you know, you think about this, I think in our church we have a bunch of Davids, you know, Johns, you know, it it was a very common name. And um, we have three. We have, uh, first of all, this one that is mentioned, uh, who is uh, Gaius of Macedonia, was in Ephesus with Paul and pulled in the amphitheater. Uh, there as the crowd shouts, great is Diana of the Ephesians for two hours while he's on stage there. Um, and he's there. And so he's a co-worker with Paul, helping him on his missionary journey uh, there. But uh, yeah, is hauled in. So that's one. You have another one that's named uh, Gaius of Derby. Uh, you say, where's Derby? Derby's in Central Asia Minor. It's one of the places that Paul visited on his first missionary journey and his second missionary journey. Uh, but this man traveled with him on his third missionary journey. And then you have a Gaius of Corinth, which was baptized by Paul. It's all the mention that we have where Paul starts off his letter in 1 Corinthians and says, I'm thankful I only baptized a few of you. You go, why is that? Because people are going around and go, I got baptized by Paul. You didn't. You know, know, a badge of honor that somehow I'm more important than you are because I was baptized by Paul. And Paul's like, I'm thankful I only baptized the household of Stephanas and Gaius. Those are the only ones I baptized out of church. I'm glad that's all he did. Those are the three that we have. 
So you go through the book of Acts, and we have at least three different individuals or in, the, in the Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And you go, is it any one of these individuals? Now, you might say it makes sense because John was connected with the church at Ephesus at the end of his life. Now, we're going to talk about the seven churches that he writes to, which go around Ephesus, you know, kind of a pinwheel from Ephesus, uh, and uh, go out from uh, that town. Um, and he's kind of the supervisor for it. So you'd say that first one would seem to be who you would think might be this Gaius. The problem is, is that as you get to the letter and you read through it, that in verse number four, the Apostle Paul makes this statement about Gaius, and he says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, Paul is not talking about his children. Okay, as far as I know, Paul didn't have children. I do think at one time he may have been married, don't know. Typically, Pharisees were married. It was very unusual for a Pharisee not to be married. Uh, but there doesn't seem to be any indicator that he had children. Um, so, you know, Paul, you know, that case, you know, you look at him, but you look at John, and we don't have any indicators that he was married. You're kind of like, okay, um, so who's he talking about? Someone that he led to the Lord. You, know, you have this occasions where individuals uh, that are led to the Lord by somebody else, somebody is saying, I gave birth to you. And you're going, no, you didn't. You didn't give birth to them. Well, they were there when the person got saved. They were part of the event. And, and what we think here is that this individual is probably one that John led to the Lord somewhere along the line. And uh, that's who it is. So that, that's perhaps all the information that we have about Gaius is what we find in this letter here. Convert, more than likely, of John, and then what we know about him in this letter. Uh, so you know, that, that is one of the things you go through is that people are like, well, who, which one is it? And I tend to lean to the fact that it's none of the three, the four mentioned in the Scripture, that this one is a unique one uh, that John is writing to that he led to the Lord. Uh, on this. Time written, this is nothing new. Uh, Most of these letters and the uh, revelation uh, are going to be timed anywhere between 85 and 95 AD as far as their time, and so that is pretty much the same. Say, why did uh, John write this letter? Well, it's not you know, really theological and the like. There's not a whole lot of stuff going on there, but I would say this, that it's not hidden. Three people specifically name addressed for their good, and in some cases, they're evil. He's going through and going, okay, here's this person, and I'm writing about the good things that they're doing and congratulating and commending them for doing that, and then I got this bad person that we'll talk about, uh, and then I've got this other person that I just barely mentioned, but he's a person that everybody knows as being really good. That his Christian testimony uh, and his uh, holding of the truth is well known by many people. So what you have is just kind of a letter where the Apostle Paul is going through and going, here's an individual in the church, here's another individual in the church, and here's another individual in the church, and two of them I'm saying, these are people you ought to follow, and the third one's one that you ought to completely ignore. 
In fact, uh, the suggestion would be that they don't even be a part of the church uh, because of their life uh, for that. So it's, it doesn't really have, you know, it's not that John's going, I've got a theological matter to address. It's just a letter where he's going and saying, okay, these are people that you ought to follow. You're doing a good job at what you're doing. Uh, I need to identify a person by name very clearly that's doing wrong. So it's not like, you know, who's he talking about? I need to make very clear who this individual is that's doing evil. End of letter. So it's uh, not one that is greatly theological. So as we go through, uh, you've got your outline here. Uh, great, we somehow skipped yeah, that. Uh, I've tried to at least alliterate them, uh, the outline, so you can kind of remember the three individuals that we have. And I've, I've put it this way, that when looking at uh, this individual, the first one that the letter's addressed to, I would put him down as the gracious host. Okay, he's known for his hospitality. Uh, anytime you read through commentaries in this, they go, this is a person that's known for his care for people in the church, taking care of them. That's just his thing. And uh, he's good at it. So I want to go through and read the first eight verses um, of what we have written here and uh, get a picture of what Gaius is like from John's own pen. It says this, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, Thou dost faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to, the str to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity, or that's the word that we commonly know as love. Everywhere else in the Bible, it's that Greek word agape. So I'd, I'd put it this way, thy love, but love that is doing things. Uh, before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. When you look at uh, Gaius, he is an example really of everything that John has talked about in 1 John and 2 John. You've got it in a person. I mean, you have the themes of joy in 1 John person who knows Christ, that there's this joy of fellowshipping with him. Uh, there's these terms, rejoicing and joy attached to Gaius, or this idea of truth, that a person who knows the truth, and you say, who's the truth? The, the truth is a person. I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh from the Father but by me. You know Christ, but you also know the truth about him. And if you know Christ and you know the truth about him, it's going to affect the way you live. And you also have this theme uh, of uh, love that is going to be displayed to the brethren uh, and uh, the brethren and the sisters or the brothers and sisters as we would put it in modern English uh, that uh, he is displaying what John, 1 John said that a person who doesn't love uh, being with brothers and sisters in Christ, they don't know God. I mean, if they, they person is just like, I don't like believers, I don't like Christians, I don't want to be around them, that's probably an indicator they do not know who God is. 
And you're going to have an example of an individual like that uh, here in a few minutes that is going to be the exact contrast in that kind of attitude. Now, we do think that John in his prayer or his kind of his hope for calling from blessing from God, that in verse number <coughs> two, he says this, that thou mayest prosper and be in, okay, be in health. This is an indicator, and the way that that's worded is an, an indicator that Gaius is probably not physically strong, probably has some sort of just regular illness that he's known for. And it serves as an example because when you look at this individual and what he's doing, though he is not physically strong or healthy, this was not an excuse to keep him from doing what a believer should. You know, sometimes we we think this way that I don't feel well, so I don't have to act like a Christian today. Now, we, we we don't say that, Okay, but that's what we feel like. You know, I don't I don't have to be Christianly, I don't have to do all those things that Christians are expected because I'm not feeling well. And what you have here is an individual who probably doesn't feel well on a regular basis that is an example to everybody else on how a Christian ought to live. Kind of going, okay. You know, there's a lot of things that could keep me from being a Christian as I should whether it's physically or and it does have the idea of prospering, uh, he's probably not the most wealthy individual either. Okay, sometimes we think, oh, I have to be wealthy in order to be able to help and be a Christian. The answer is no, you don't. Not to show hospitality. So both of those things, his health, his wealth, are probably not the strongest, but yet he's an example of how believers should function how they should live. And as you go along in this, you, you see this, that John rejoiced at the truth that was displayed in Gaius's life. He's got people who are traveling, or as he goes around himself traveling, but he has people come to him, and they're going, hey, you know, this person that you led to the Lord, this Gaius, I, you know what? It's fantastic. Let me tell you what he's done. I got the story of what he did for me. And what John's thinking is this, is I, I, when I get reports like that, that brings me great delight, okay? And I, I say this, when you have children and you get reports from other people about how your kids are doing, and it's good reports, does that not bring you great joy as a parent? You're going, yeah. Well, what about one that you've had the opportunity to spiritually be a part of their birth and you find out that you're not around and they're growing and they're maturing and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing without you being around? You're going, this is fantastic. I love this. This is what brings me happiness and joy uh, to hear reports like this. This is what John is saying. The regular display of hospitality to Christian workers magnified the truth in his life that he knew Christ and that he was reflecting it to those who were serving and ministering for Christ was a regular thing. He gave us his finances uh, to meet needs of traveling workers, and we have highlighted there the selfless attitude of Gaius was displayed in his love of fellow believers. Remember the word love, and you talk about the attitude of love. The attitude of love is this. It's selflessness. 
It exemplifies Christ leaving the glories of heaven to come and die for us, knowing that the people he's going to die for aren't going to give him anything back. In fact, they're going to condemn him and yell at him and say, we don't want him, but he still did it. That's a selfless act. But he did it because of love. Well, Gaius here is an individual who is giving of himself and his resources to push the message along of who Christ is to his own hurt financially. Um, when uh, I do want to at least uh, get this uh, understand what's going on here. Um, verse five, beloved, thou dost faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren to strangers which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after godly store, thou shalt do well. Um, What it's talking about here is that you oftentimes in the early church had people that traveled from church to church, ministering to the church. Um, And you really, and we talked about this, I think two weeks ago or three weeks ago, um, you really didn't want people like that staying in most locales. Okay, you didn't want them in the local Motel 6. Okay, you go, why? Uh, because most places where you would stay were not places known for their reputation of being that good. And so what you had is that oftentimes people would come into the church and be there to minister, to help the needs of the church as traveling missionaries, just as the Apostle Paul was traveling from church to church, helping the churches out, teaching uh, and helping with this. Uh, There were itinerant individuals like Paul, like John, who are going from church to church that are there helping the church. Apollos did traveling like this. We have all sorts of individuals like this. And what Gaius is doing is he's opening his home and saying, I'll take care of you, and then financially gives to help them on their way to the next location. You know, they don't have a regular salary. They're not getting that type of thing, so they're at the mercy, these traveling teachers at the mercy of what individuals give to them. I mean, probably the closest thing that we have to this now in our culture uh, are, are evangelists. You know, they travel and they, they don't have a regular pay. It's what they get at each church. That's how they live. That's how these people are living. And, and Gaius is leading this out. And he's not the wealthiest individual. He's not the healthiest individual. But when it comes to people thinking uh, of Gaius and the thing that they think of, they're going, he's always helping the work of the ministry along. Now, I, I will say this. It never says any. I was thinking about this. It never says anything about Gaius preaching or teaching. Okay, he's probably not an individual in the church that is one that you're going, oh, he's going to get up and preach and he's going to get up and teach. So you go, so what you have is an individual that's probably what we would in our vernacular describe as a layman a regular individual in the church. And he's having impact on people who are teaching the gospel and going around preaching and teaching. He's having impact on their lives, though he himself is probably not in that category of one who would stand up in front of people and teach and preach. You go, hmm, well, that's, that's like a majority of individuals in a church. Like, Yeah doing what they're supposed to be doing, reflecting what Christ is like, though they would never themselves get up in front of people. That's how it ought to live. And so you have this one that John is commending 
going, this is a, a person worthy of your attention. Sadly, you get to a second individual, a guy by the name of Diotrephes. I was joking yesterday. I said, well, you know, I'm going to preach on this. And Brian said, you know, if I had another kid, I think I was going to name him Diotrephes. I said, no, you weren't. He goes, yeah, I wasn't. Uh, because this name is attached to something that's not good. I want you to look at verse number 9. Okay. And understand past tense here right away. I wrote unto the church. Okay. I, I've already, what he's saying is this, I already wrote to the church. It's not a new thing that I'm about to tell you in this letter, but I wrote to the church. Here's what I wrote. But Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, pratting against us with malicious words, not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, casting them out of the church." Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Now, what we have with Diotrephes, I've sat here and struggled with a little bit uh, in some ways because you're going, this isn't what's supposed to be going on in a church. Okay? This Diotrephes, okay, what he's doing, he's a direct contrast to Gaius. Verse 11 indicates that he was unsaved. And that, that's what he's hinting at in verse 11. It's not that he just adds that verse and goes, well, you know. No, he's saying this person doesn't know God. But somehow he has got into leadership in the church that he is a leader in the church, whether he's a preacher in the church, an elder, what, what, whatever it is, okay? But he showed his sin uh, nature by rejecting teachers of the truth. He was bold enough to publicly reject the apostle John in his writings. John sends his writings there, and he publicly pronounces that you shouldn't hear what John has to say, nor what itinerant preachers have to say, that they're wrong, um, that he has this uh, statement that, that he has a desire to have the preeminence or the first place. Realize this, this is a terminology that's used about Christ. Book of Colossians talks about this uh, statement, that in all things he, referring to Christ, might have the preeminence, the first place. What Diotrephes has gotten to the point is, is that he ought to have the first place, that he is the one who has a say in every matter and that he's right in everything. And because of this uh, and the, the power that he has, he actually seems to have the ability to throw people out of the church. Now that's one I'm just sitting there going, how in the world do you do that? Okay, I, I have a church I was in in Massachusetts. I, there was a history of a pastor who actually rewrote the Constitution so that he could throw people out of the church. So he could just simply go, you know what? You're not with me, you're out. I'm just like, good night. How did the church get there? They got there. So, I mean, I understand this whole thing with diatrophies. Uh, you could get an individual like this that could go, you know what? You aren't with me, you're out. You don't support the pastor, out. 
and he had gotten the church to to allow him to kick individuals out now when he left and the church congregation for the previous pa- the pastor that was just before me uh, showed up, they rewrote the Constitution, and the only person that could actually be kicked out of the church was the pastor. <laughs> you know, so, you know, it was kind of like when I got there, and they had lived 20 years with that, understanding the history behind what had happened uh, with all of this, we finally rewrote the Constitution, so there was the ability for you know, if you had members that were not uh, living the way they should or preaching false doctrine, you could let them go, but it was by congregational vote, not by pastoral fiat. Um, Diotrephes has somehow gotten to that point in his ability and his power that he wants to be the answer to everything and that he's not to be questioned and that people seem to be going along with this, and John's going, listen, when I show up, I'm going to take care of this if it's not taken care of beforehand. Now, my carnal nature goes, I would love to be there for, you know, to see how John would deal with this situation, with his diatrophies, uh, you know, in some ways. Um, but there's a contrast here, an intentional contrast. Here you have an individual by the name of Gaius that, that is known, and he's probably not in leadership of the church, but he's known for his Christianity. Everybody that knows him goes, that person's somebody. But you got another person in this church who's, you know, out of here, out of here, you know, don't agree with me, uh, curses to you, <laughs> whatever. Um, contrast, Diotrephes is selfish, not selfless that he's seeking to be first in everything. And so you have this contrast, that you can have individuals like this in a church that are, as John is going to say, they're just plain old out and out and unsaved, and they've somehow gotten into leadership, or they're acting like an unsaved person. Uh, they're extremely carnal, one or the other, but in John's uh, estimation, this Diotrephes doesn't know the Lord. I have no idea who he is. So you have a second person, the glory-seeking heretic. Okay, that you had the gracious host, glory-seeking heretic, and now you have Demetrius, the godly hero. Okay, Demetrius, we find him reported in verse 12, and this is the only verse we have about him. Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. You have a godly hero. You have an individual here by the name of Demetrius that everybody that knows him knows that he loves the Lord. Not a question. Um, Put it this way. After commending Gaius and condemning Diotrephes, John lifted up another individual for his godly testimony. Not only John witnessed to Demetrius' character, all men who knew him witnessed about his life. His life was, it also says, the truth testifies to him. Well, his life was a testimony of the truth of Christ in him. You could say, this person knows Christ. You can see it by his life. There's no question about it. This is a person who loves the Lord. And you kind of go, this is the type of person I would like to be like. Okay, a person that you would have as your hero. They don't have to be in leadership or anything to be your hero. Uh, I can think of uh, individuals, even in uh, the previous ministry I was in, that you kind of go, that person's a Christian. Everybody that knows him is a Christian. He is one that's in the community, and people know who he is. He, every, he, unsaved people know he's a Christian. No question. All men. You know, they may not like that he's a Christian, but they know he's a Christian. And 
this Demetrius uh, is one that's recommended uh, for this. Now, the only Demetrius, now this is a side note here, and this is something that's discussed when it comes to this. The only Demetrius that we have in Scripture is mentioned in the church of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, and he's an enemy of the church at that time. He's named specifically, and some people think he's named specifically out of all the silversmiths because there is a knowledge in the church that he came to know the Lord as Savior. Okay, that's why he's out of all the silversmiths that are rioting and whatever else that perhaps this Demetrius was written out there in Acts 19 because he's one who came to know Jesus Christ as Savior and that this may be the very Demetrius we're talking about because he's the only Demetrius we have in Scripture. He was in the city of Ephesus. This is where John seems to be based out of uh, is the, the town of Ephesus. And so him writing about Demetrius, it may very well be this, which would even put this in a more remarkable level as far as his testimony. He's an individual persecuted Paul's co-workers. If this is the same man, it would be a remarkable testimony to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform an individual to change him to one that hated Christianity and was violently opposed to him to suddenly being one who loves Christ. I mean, he's, think about the person that he persecuted, if this is the case, the Apostle Paul. One who persecuted the church of God suddenly becomes a, a person who reflects Christ wherever he goes. You close out the letter, it ends much like Second uh, John does. Um, the end of the letter was John's communication that he had not written a long note because he was planning on seeing Gaius in person. He said, I would write longer, but I'm going to show up soon. So, you know, I can give you all this information, but this letter will get here before I do. Um, and this is necessary stuff to get out there. I mean, you read it, verse 13, I had many things to write unto you, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee. And we shall speak face to face. Peace be unto you. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. And he says, I got friends that uh, you know that I'm writing that are greeting you. We'll talk when we get there about who that is and send on greetings from me to the saints that are there. So in looking at this letter, as we said, it's not a, a theological letter, okay? It's a very practical letter, but it's practical about people living the Christian life. Now, what are you known for? Are you known for being a selfish individual desiring to have the first place? Or are you the type of person that everyone knows and goes, that's a Christian. That's a person that serves. I mean, that you're just known for that. That is what John is just laying out as an example for 2,000 years for us to look at and go, you know, what category would I be in? Would I be a Demetrius or a Gaius? Or would I mm, be a Diotrephes? You know, would I be in that category of someone who John would come and condemn, <laughs> look to throw me out of the church because I wasn't representing the truth uh, of the gospel. So good book, remind us that every individual is important, no matter what status you're in, what your position in the church is, that you have impact. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this short letter, one that uh, should cause us to consider what people might say about us, our considerations of who we are, our character, what they know about us, what, what would their testimony and reflection upon us be? Uh, hopefully it would be in that uh, category that reflects the truth of knowing Jesus Christ. 
Uh, help us to be that way. Uh, may it be that we never have uh, in a church like this, though we know that the devil would seek to do harm an individual like a Diotrephes uh, that would rise up and hurt the testimony of Christ uh, in a community. So we love you. Thank you for saving us. And may we reflect that knowledge in our lives. And this we pray in the name of the Savior. Amen.